Hi, and welcome to My Podcast Knows What You Read in the Dark, a book club podcast made by chaotic people for chaotic people. I'm Lady. I'm B. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Kristen. And we are four friends here to tell you what's what about the books that we read and loved this month or the books that we hated this month. So is it weird that I'm honestly a little disappointed we're not going to talk about Light Lark this episode? <laughs> <laughs> it's like incredibly disappointing um, yeah. because it was so much fun, even though I've lived through, like I got waterboarded for an hour. Yeah, <laughs> that episode just came out yesterday. So like we got to listen to it in all of its glory. And I was sitting there listening to it I'm like, damn, this was really fun to talk about. We peaked with the last episode. We peaked. We Sorry, did. guys. Yeah. Downhill from <laughs> here. Only what? Eight in? Or no, seven in. And seven. we peaked. It's, it's never going to get any better. Nope. So, Lady, you had a question for us. Well, actually, technically, Zoe had a question for us, but you are the messenger. Yes. So, our faithful listener, Zoe, really likes to talk to me about warrior cats and animorphs and all of these middle grade series and she wants to know what was the classic middle grade series that you were really into at some point in your life even if it's like super cringy like she wants it super embarrassing uh i think my answer is probably the Inkheart series oh i used to love those books yeah i was like uh, completely obsessed with them i read them back to front like four or five times Runner-up would probably be the Royal Diaries series, which is an offshoot of the Dear America books, but it was all, like, princesses from around the world and from different um, time periods. I still have one of them. I have the Cleopatra one on my bookshelf right now. I have no idea what any of these are. Oh, I do, and them. I'm so excited you brought up the, <laughs> the princesses books and as well as the Dear America. Yes. That was definitely from my childhood, too, like, yeah. early on. My library had actually a fairly extensive collection of the princess ones. I think they only had, there was only like two of them that they didn't have. And I, I think I was probably the only person in my middle school that checked them out, but I was literally like checking them out constantly. They were in a constant rotation. I remember I also read the Cleopatra one and really liked it. Yes. No one is surprised knowing you and me. <laughs> yes. That was the first one I ever read. So lady, like I said, the premise is basically they are the diaries of these princesses from all across history, all different cultures, all different time periods. And it is their, like when they're adolescents. So like the, the main ones that I like really stand out that I remember, it's like Marie Antoinette right before she gets married, uh, Cleopatra, like right before her father dies, um, those kinds huh. of things. It's like going over the historical things that happen in their lives, but also like making them, I don't know, relatable to a, pubescent girl <laughs> yeah it was definitely like your intro into historical fiction oh absolutely yeah and, and i also read the because it wasn't the dear america were associated with like the american girl dolls yes yeah some of them were yeah. some of them weren't yeah so i remember definitely i mean that wasn't even middle school for me that was definitely like elementary school for me i'll tell you what you tend to unpack things where you're like huh that must have been a turning point for me but i read a wrinkle in time when i was young and my library at in elementary school had the other books in the series. Have any of you read any of the other books besides A Wrinkle in Time? I think I've read A Wind in the Doorway. I can't remember. What's the second one? Yeah, A Wind in the Door. There, so yes, there's one yeah. where uh, there's one that follows the twin brothers when they travel, like basically time travel. It's called Many Waters. And um, I was thinking about it the other day and I was like, oh man, that definitely unlocked like something inside me. <laughs> because <laughs> there's like references to so the twins it's when they're a little bit older they're like i don't know like teenage like mid-teens like maybe 16 or so but they're taller and then they end up getting transported basically to like noah like noah of noah's ark time and everyone is so much shorter and it involves oh my gosh i feel like i'm so outing myself and, and, and because it's like quasi-biblical it also like in this time period there's two different types of angels that are also just like in and around all these people and they're also very tall so there's just like this whole dynamic of like young like people being attracted to each other and like confusing the twins who are totally human with being angels because they're tall anyway y'all should read it sometime <laughs> One of mine, I'm basic, I read the Harry Potter books and was obsessed with them. But another one that I read when I was younger was the Magic Treehouse. Oh, yes. That is literally sitting on my desk right now to give Christmas to my Christmas and niece. Camelot forever. 
Christmas in Camelot until I die. <laughs> the, the Titanic one was like one of my favorites. Yes. Um, and there's one about the um, there's one about an, uh, one of the earthquakes in California. Yeah, that I really liked. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but I I would lo- I loved those. And then I never did read Warrior Cats, but I had a lot of friends that read them. So I know a, probably more than enough about them. <laughs> and I also really liked um, Series of Unfortunate Events. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've read those last year. It's so good. They still stand the test yeah, of time. Yeah, they do. Even as an adult, like they're so enjoyable. They're very funny. Yeah. Yeah, they are. I've also never read Warrior Cats, despite talking about it to Zoe a lot. <laughs> I just love the Warrior Cats memes. Yeah, I know so much about Warrior Cats, considering I have never, ever even picked up a Warrior Cats book myself. They just sound so interesting. I, it's, yeah. it's honestly shocking that I've never read one. Uh, they're mm. iconic. Yeah. They are. Lady, what's your pick? Mine are a little bit more obscure, just due to the fact that I am not American. So my first one that I've read so many freaking times is called Amos Darragon by Brian Perrow. It is kind of like, it's a like chosen he- chosen hero, chosen one kind of story with like hints of like gr- Greek mythology throughout. Ooh. And it's not that obscure because I just Googled it and they are available in English. So if you're looking for something, they do not stand the test of time though. I reread one last year and I was just kind of like, this is what I was obsessed with. (laughs) It's like when you question your taste, it's like, oh no. It wasn't bad, but it was like clearly like for elementary school readers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I really, really like those. Oh, and I have another one. The series Dead Girl Walking by Linda Joy Singleton. Yes. yes. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Other people know it. Yeah, I loved yes. it so much. I was like super obsessed with the love interest. Uh, I think his name was Eli. I think you're right. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to pull a deep cut from middle school, which is, did anybody else read the Wake series? No. Mm-mm. Oh my God. It's like about this. I'm pretty sure it's about this girl, if I'm remembering correctly, who could like go into people's dreams or something like that. Also, I would be remiss if I did not mention my absolute obsession with Lois Duncan thriller books in middle school. I re- got I read every single one I could get my grubby little 12-year-old hands on. <laughs> <laughs> were those the ones you were telling me about when we went to Second and Charles? Yes. I was telling you, like, they are probably definitely not appropriate for children. Yeah, when you were describing them to me, I was like, Caitlin should not have been reading this when she was, like, 11 years old. <laughs> They're middle grade fiction books, but one of them I remember distinctly, one of my favorite ones, I think it's uh, Crutchfield, I can't remember. Um, Oh, it's called Down a Dark Hall, is a book about a girl who goes to an all-girls boarding school, and it seems like it's haunted, but it ends up being like some kind of uh, scheme that the the director of the school is doing where they're like experimenting on the girls, if I remember correctly. Yeah. There's another one where a girl, like, teams up with a police officer to solve, like, a kidnapping or whatever. They're really, really good. I- I'm always confused by people who say, like, oh, this book is too, like, it's it's too much to be YA, it's too much for teen audiences, yeah. while things like this and things like Animorphs, which yeah. is, like, a book for children, oh my are, God, like, so yes. dark. Yeah. Those Lois Duncan books were at my middle school library. It wasn't even the public library. They were at my middle school library. And my school was only 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. So it's not like they were there for the older kids and I just happened to find them. Well, that's like how I started reading Nicholas Sparks books when I was probably way too young to be reading them. <laughs> oh, Because yeah. they were in my middle school library. Yep. I remember all of us passing around a walk to remember like it was candy. You could tell who had it that week because they had been crying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, I read The Notebook when I was in, like, the seventh or eighth grade. Yeah. Like, it's just it's because because my school library had it. And, like, looking back, I'm like, man, I did not need to be reading that. <laughs> B, do you want to tell us about the book that you read? I'm so excited to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> oh, okay. But in case anybody forgot, th- uh, this episode and the next episode, we are going to be doing um, books that someone on the podcast sent to us anonymously. So whenever they get done talking about their book, the person that gave it to them is going to reveal who they are, and then we'll keep doing that until next episode ends. I'm so excited for B to talk about this book. Who's read this already? Like, Caitlin, you've read it. Lady, you've read it? No, I have not. Kristen, have you read it? 
What your pick? Yeah. No, I haven't. I own it, but I don't. I haven't read oh, it. Oh, okay, okay. It's Emily. Emily in Warren Page Library. Shout out Emily. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Emily in Warren Page Library has also read it. The book that I uh, was told to read is called Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies by Heather Fawcett. And um, whoever assigned this book to me, I, I I did say to like the group chat that we have as I was reading it, I was just like, whoever assigned this to me loves me. Like clearly this was a declaration <laughs> of love. Um, <laughs> just it, it was very obvious as I was reading it. I was like, okay. Surprise, at the end, you get a proposal of marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Free with the book. Free with purchase. Yeah. Yeah. I, to make sure that I could get it in time, I purchased, like, the Kindle ebook version, but I want, I want a physical copy because it looks so pretty. Okay, so uh, this book, Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies, uh, it's titled after that because Emily Wilde is the main character and she is putting together an encyclopedia of all things fairy. So I'll just kind of jump right in uh, and save all the things that I loved for just basically shouting about them at the end. Perfect. (laughs) So Emily teaches at a college and I phrase it like that because there's actually a level of distinction to your title based on your seniority and tenure. Um, And so that comes into this book in a certain way. And I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but in American college, it's the title is represented on whether or not like you have the title of like instructor or lecturer or even like your title professor. If it's like associate or assistant or just plain professor, like that all denotes a certain amount of seniority and like it absolutely plays into like office politics. But I bring this up because it was obvious to me that Heather Fawcett, the author, must have been familiar with this as well um, because it, it impacts Emily the main character. Um, So our main character, Emily, has yet to achieve tenure, which is in part why she's so persevering in trying to finish her encyclopedia and why her narrative demonstrates her with this like chip on her shoulder, um, especially in regards to another of the kind of main characters. Um, So she's trying to finish this encyclopedia on basically the folk of the world. Um, The first such compendium of its kind in this time, like in this world, but just also like ever. Um, (laughs) And so it's hundreds of pages long. Her entries and notes are exhaustive um, to the extent like in the diary, like this is in a diary form. And as you read it, there are footnotes to it. And I just loved reading all the footnotes. Yeah. I thought the footnotes were a really cool, like touch. I loved them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They were wonderful. I I loved them so much Um, because they would give you a little bit more. It was as if she was giving you footnotes from her encyclopedia. Um, So it'd give you little like bits of lore. So it's as our book opens up as she's traveling to Usland. Uh, Basically, it seems like it's kind of like in Norway, somewhere Scandinavian, very, very north. Um, And she's traveling to a made up town called Harafensvik. Here, she's trying to gather research about the elusive folk up north, colloquially called the Hidden Ones. She's staying in a tiny town in a rented cabin, and she's planning to stay there for several months to gather narratives from the towns in the area, to observe the lesser fae um, in the area, and hopefully observe the basically trooping gentry, uh, the the kind of more anthropomorphic gentry folk um, from this court of the north. Um, And so that's basically like the book opens where she's basically getting to those um, accommodations and, and getting settled into the town. And so when you follow Emily in the first bit of this book, as she's trying to get settled into the town and get, you know, situated in terms of where she needs to go and what she needs to look out for, she's not making much progress. Um, She makes progress in terms of the research side of things, like out in the open, in, in the wild. But when it comes to trying to get in touch with the townsfolk and get settled in that, she's she doesn't do it well um including like she basically she's not even sure how she did it but she offends the head woman of the town that she's in um, a woman named odd she offends her and she's all but kind of shunned or always held at a distance by the town from that point on um it's early on in the book but at one point a shopkeeper 
uh, you know, Emily is going to buy supplies from the shopkeeper and she goes to the counter to basically get the total and, to, you know, to pay. And the shopkeeper tallies up the price and says, oh, odd, right? The head woman. Oh, odd says you want the tourist price. <laughs> and so everything is exorbitantly <laughs> expensive. <laughs> and you get Emily's, this is all Emily's point of view. And, and she's like, yeah, I expected that. But it's just like, come on, yeah. kid. Like. Uh, so there's a lot of like you see emily's perspective where she clearly has poor poor interpersonal skills um and so people tend to you know it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy but at the same time it, it is humorous because you're just like how can you not people this um so it's 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 like that like the price that she gets from the the shopkeeper at this in this scene is like three times the price of what it should be for like basic supplies bless it yeah i love in like it's a it's like really early on in the beginning when she first gets to harafin's beak there's like uh the son of the dude who is hosting her Mm -hmm. Um, like brings her breakfast and he's trying to like make small talk with her and it's the most awkward so conversation awkward. you've ever heard in your entire life. <laughs> really, really Poor is. baby. She de- she can't talk to no, people. No, she cannot. Same. He is trying so hard to like engage her in conversation and she is like she does not understand what to do at all. It's yeah. Like aloof doesn't cut it. Nope. I'll come back to that. So anyway, so she's not making any headway in the town, and it's not until Wendell Bambleby, uh, a needle in her side, lives rent-free in her mind Cambridge colleague, shows up that she makes any headway with the town. Um, And it's, it's funny, even, you know... It reminded me a lot of, and we've, uh, of course, I'm going to bring this back up, but in Cruel Prince, yes. we've talked yes. about how many times, how many times Cardin comes up in Jude's, like, yes. inner narrative, and you're like, girl, come on, like, you are obsessed. That's exactly what I was thinking yeah. whenever you were bringing this up. <laughs> it's like, every time, like, out of nowhere, <laughs> apropos of nothing, Jude is like, oh, I think of Cardin, blah, blah, blah. That is His Emily lips. and Wendell. Yeah, she thinks about Cardin's mouth every yes. five seconds, but then she's like, but I don't like him. It's like, yes, okay, well. That is exactly <laughs> the exactly dynamic. exactly it. It is. It, exactly. It, and then, I mean, and and part of it is a little bit of this, um, you know, Wendell has tenure, but also he is so much more um, charming and, and just affable mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, with everyone and so he can she notices obviously like she notices he can go into a room and get everyone's attention and charm everyone and you know um but at the same time like she pays attention to him all the time and she thinks about him regularly all the time all the time poor even when he's literally nowhere near her in this tiny tiny ass town she's like (laughs) a world away exactly and She's been there for five minutes, and she's thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I and I can't though. remember now. I forgot to check my notes. But so basically, she's in town, and she's a little frustrated that she can't make any headway. And she gets a letter from him, and he insinuates in the letter that he's going to show up. And she's like, "Oh no, he better not." And he does. Right. So Wendell shows up, um, and <laughs> when he and he's the best, he is. And so again, when he gets there, like full-on like megawatt charm like he gets he gets in with all the rest of the town um and it it even gets to the point like at one point emily like several days into this she's just like how did you get involved with the town so well and he he brings up this point and it and it's it's a credit to wendell because he also pays attention to emily that he is able to get through to her because she is so dense in terms of social skills even with him even with him, oh yes, oh of course, well t- definitely with him. She's like the, the one of my favorite parts of that book is in uh, it is fairly fairly early on in the beginning when she first gets to Harafinspeak and she gets that letter from Wendell. In her mind, in the narration she's giving you, she's talking about like how he loves to tease her and how he is like an <laughs> instigator, blah blah blah, all this stuff. In his letter word for word it says like 
he drew he like drew this picture of her because he already missed her and he missed the sound of her typewriter i'm like girl oh, simp oh, oh no and I'll, don't, don't reveal more caitlin because there's something else i want to bring up and i'll just okay 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 okay, okay. i'll be quiet okay no, no, no. So anyway, so he shows up and, and this is like, so in this moment, right, when she brings up, she's just like, how could you do it? Like, how could you, how could you people basically? And he gets through to her because he's like, Emily, you're an amazing researcher. Why the fuck? He doesn't say that, but he's like, why the fuck did you not research about the people who live here and the customs <laughs> of the people who live here? <laughs> and so he's able to kind of get through to her where she's like, oh, that's how I fucked up with the Ted woman of the town and stuff like that. Um, but so, and then the other thing that I want to talk about in terms of, this is what I was going to say, in terms of, like, you can tell that Wendell pays attention to Emily. There's a comment. Oh my God. uh, I can't remember who made the comment back and forth, but there's a comment where you you realize that basically Emily gets so hyper fixated on her research that she just doesn't eat. And Wendell notices this and basically institutes a mandatory, like, every day they go and eat breakfast together. Because he yes. noticed, what a she, man, right? He noticed she's not eating, and he's like, "That's not going to work." What a man does not cover it. Yeah, it really does. He's the best. He makes like he's technically a side character, although at one point in the book he does. You do get his narration um, in this journal, and he basically ends up writing some of the journal entries um, in Emily's encyclopedia. And first of all, they're amazing. And I won't reveal anything other than that, but just they're so worth it. Um, but I love an author who, and, and Heather does this, where it is so obvious the voices of those characters are different. Yes. And they play, they play off of each other. Like, that is in this book. And I just, that's the kind of dialogue I live for. <laughs> and, and so that was hugely enjoyable. The, it, like, the first part of the book before Wendell shows up, it it is. It's hard to read because Emily is so fucking awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and all of her interactions. But I feel like I would relate to her. So fucking awkward. I know, right? Oh, yeah. I'm going to see myself way too much. Her best interactions before Wendell shows up are with this, basically this, like, brownie-type fae character, this lesser fae that she encounters in the woods and she's trying to make headway with. That's And he's not human and doesn't do, mm-hmm. like human conversation well and that's her best conversation of all before Wendell <laughs> <Me>. shows up. <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> the two people that like her in the town are this little brownie that she has been engaging with and the elderly woman that doesn't talk to anybody. And yeah, you know, the, the <laughs> old woman who's just like beyond ca- like caring about anything anyone yes. thinks. I, it's great. It's it's really, really good. Um, so anyway, so the so Wendell shows up and and they start to make headway there's really good layering to this and like easter eggs throughout that i don't want to spoil too much more so i'm going to kind of I'll, i'm going to kind of actually cut it off in the sense of like narration of the first part of the book and just say like from this point on you have chaos and shenanigans and this constant yes. trope of oblivion of obliviousness um, and that all ensues while Emily continues to basically dog- doggedly press on in her quest to find the hidden ones and in pursuit of basically trying to achieve like a certain like unlock a level of professional and academic accolades. And like, again, because once she gets in and she can start getting stories from the townsfolk and she writes that into her entry and when she can start making headway, more headway with the brownie by you know having a certain kind of like exchange with the brownie and as she you know encounters more and more with wendell like there's just there's a lot of layering to it and it oh it's so good (laughs) um so i'm just gonna shout about things that i loved and i hope that you yeah (laughs) um so with her constantly she has this companion um that's a big dog named shadow he's like uh he's wrenched as like a boarhound he's like the size of a very large like great dane um he's huge yeah i'm in love with him he is with her always and like again like she can't people but like this is her dog it's her doggo like and his name is shadow and i already was like i already love this book and i was like shadow is the name of my childhood dog and i was like this is kismet (laughs) um bambleby wendell is just so so obvious 
and I love him for it. He is so obvious how much he cares for Emily. And she is so dense. <laughs> so dense. So dense. Like, so I dense. love dense women in my novels. Yeah. She is like six brick walls stacked together <laughs> dense. Like, and I, not to quote <laughs> Avril, Avril Lavigne, but like, literally, Wendell is just like, can I make it any more obvious? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It reminds me of Audrey Rosen Thomas. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Just like someone that is just so open face, like, I'm in love with you. And then there's this girl that's like, no, there's no possible way that he could ever care about me. But also kind of like Cardin and the Wicked Prince, where he's just like (laughs) flirting with her nonstop. And she's just like, he hates me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And again, you want to call it banter, but she's so dense. The back and forth mm-hmm. between them is really good. I I really enjoyed it. And again, it's it is that like the ability to balance the she is so not getting it. He is so generous but also persevering and like patient and tolerant of waiting for her to like get a clue. <laughs> I also really like the dynamic between two people who are very academically suited for one another. Wendell is not hanging on Emily's coattails. There are some things about his research that are I won't say anything because I know, I know. It's hard to it's hard to not reveal too much. Yes. But there are some things about his research that Emily like comments on that make you kind of think maybe he might not be the best researcher. But then like when him and Emily are sitting down and having conversations together about this stuff. Clearly, he is able to hold his own and they are like equally matched. Yeah. And that's, and that was kind of my next thing that actually I was going to talk about was just like the folklore in this book is so on point. And it's not just like Emily's entries or footnotes that I adored, but it's, it's the, the ability of having these, like they're both academics. They just go about it in different ways, but like the ability to have these conversations around this topic of, like essentially the the folk um they each bring different perspectives to it but regularly like emily is impressed with what wendell can bring up and talk about and very much so the other way as well like especially when you get into like wendell's entries that he writes in in emily's um journal he also brings up like oh i never thought you would have thought of this and and it's obvious he knows about it too i love that part because it shows you you know, when you have a good working relationship or working colleague, like that's an example of being able to collaborate and build, you know, again, like push that kind of academic boundary, like in, in really, really good ways. But yeah, the, the folklore was amazing. <laughs> um, and then the other thing when this is the, the, the tricky part of not being able to reel too much is that basically then um, Heather Fawcett did an amazing job of weaving the town folks narratives about certain folklore stuff into the story and Emily's research gets interwoven into that. And Wendell, Wendell's like efforts get interwoven into that. And all of it just amazingly overlaps in, in really, really good, like in a really good way. I think Um, I want more. (laughs) That's what I'm going to say. I just, I want more of this. Yeah, and it's a standalone, right? No, I was looking at Storygraph. It says there's a sequel. <gasps> yes. Oh. Yeah, there's a sequel coming out. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember nice. looking it up. But, like, I will be rereading this. Like, I really, I will be re- And I don't often do rereads, but I will um, once I get it physically in my hands. Yeah. In the past couple, mm, I'd say probably in the last year, there it's been rare that a book, like, that I read it and... If if it has a sequel that is already out, I immediately pick it up. Or if it has a sequel that's coming out, I'm anticipating it. Mm-hmm. Really, the only ones were Nona the Ninth, The Stolen Air, and this book. Yeah, yeah. Like, it gripped me so much that, like, had the sequel been out already when I finished the first book, I would have immediately picked it up and started it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would too. Like, for me, when I think about books that involve Faye and folk... I really like when they're really close to more like what folklore traditionally talks about. And and this has that. I hadn't mentioned it 
But I feel like if you are someone who reads books about the Fae, the Fae in this book are brutal and not human. They are brutal and not human. I know I forgot to mention that, so I want to make sure I did. But like, and that's probably why Caitlin and I were just like ready for the next one. And (laughs) yeah, they are wicked little beasties. Yes. Even the brownie who's, yeah, also is just like so callous in terms of like what you would consider for like human ethics. And that's exactly what... uh, they should be like that's exactly how they should be it was great and i i whoever whoever assigned this book to me thank you and i love you (laughs) (laughs) it was me yay (gasps) yay i can't take full credit um caitlin sent me this idea um and because i had we had just pretty much decided um and so i since I didn't have her, I was like, I was like, I'm really like, I can't decide. And I have a couple options. And she was like, well, this one might be good. And so whenever I went and read it and everything like the the back of it, I was like, this is perfect for <laughs> for her. So, so definitely. And like, just hearing like you guys talk about it, like, I know it's gonna be a big favorite of mine, too. And I, oh, yeah. I can't wait to pick <laughs> yeah, it up. You and Lady will absolutely love it. It's so, so good. When you read it, let me know, and I'll probably just like reread it with you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it'll be eventually. Who knows when? But Caitlin, tell us about your book. I will. I'm so excited. I knew really early on in this book that I was going to need to divorce parts of this book from the whole, or else I would have just ended up screaming for 20 minutes straight about all the things <laughs> I didn't like about it. <laughs> Um, parts of this book made me so angry. I wanted to smash things into little pieces. I was literally complaining about it to my boss at work today because I couldn't wait to talk about it. Yikes. So anyways, uh, for now, I'm, I'm going to get into the frustrating bits in a minute, but for now, I'm going to talk a little bit about the story and the things that I really liked about it. So in case anybody doesn't remember, the book that was picked for me was Hotel Magnifique by Emily J. Taylor. So, Hotel Magnifique follows Johnny and her 13-year-old sister, Zosha. They're orphans living in a boarding house in the port city of Dirk, where they move to pursue Zosha's singing talent after their mother's death. Um, Johnny works at a tannery to support them and has been saving up in order to get them back to Algany, where they grew up. And I don't know for sure if they have family there. She kind of implies it a couple of times, but it's never concrete. Like, I don't know for sure what the situation is, but... That's where they grew up and where they're from, so they want to go back. But Johnny doesn't make very much money at the tannery, and she knows it will take forever for her to be able to earn what she needs to get them back to Algany. So when the Hotel Magnifique comes to town, she decides that they should apply to work there when when she finds the advertisement in the paper about them needing employees. The hotel travels all over the world, taking guests to various fantastical destinations over the course of their two-week journey. But the caveat is when guests arrive... They must sign a contract agreeing to forget the entire trip as soon as it's over. They won't be able to remember anything that went on inside the hotel. Huh. Yeah. That is uh, established pretty early on in the book, and I immediately clocked it as sus. I was like, this is this is not kosher. I don't <laughs> yeah, know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the way that they talk about it, they make it seem like they're just like, yeah, it's chill. It's whatever, you know? Sure. Whatever. Yeah. And I was is like, it? <laughs> I was like, this is weird. <laughs> signing a magical NDA that like yeah. m- literally makes you forget about it like hmm yeah do not want like they can remember that they went to the hotel they can remember that they stayed there for two weeks but they don't remember anything about the places that they went they don't remember any details about the inside of what the hotel looks like like they get I think the way it's described the lady that runs the boarding house that they live at um went to Hotel Magnifique like years and years ago and she can remember, like, impressions. Like, she knows she had a good time. She remembers, like, vague things, but she doesn't know anything concrete. And that's super sus. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like I don't, that. I was literally just going to say, I was like, I don't like that at all. No. Okay, so, uh, again, they have to for- the guests forget the trip in- as soon as it's over. Johnny assumes that a voy- since a voyage for guests is only two weeks long, that the same would kind of go for employees, and sees Hotel Magnifique not only as an adventure for both of the sisters to go on together, but as a way for them to make good money to get home to Algony, and for Zosha to begin her singing career, because Zosha is a very talented singer, 
And what they've tried in Dirk just really hasn't worked out for them so far. And it's part of Zosha's dream to be able to sing in front of people. But again, she's 13. So she can't. Everybody go, wants to be a singer when they're 13. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't want to be a singer when they're fucking 13 years? Exactly. <laughs> but also, like, Zosha, she can't go off in this magical hotel and work by herself. She's 13 years old. So Johnny is definitely, like, set on going with her. At first, when they get there, Johnny thinks that their dreams have come true. Zosha's been hired to be a singer in the hotel salon, and Joni convinces Belle, um, a powerful magician employed at the hotel, to hire her on as a maid so that she can stay. Because at first, they tell her, no, they don't, they don't need any more, and she eventually convinces him. Once the hotel's voyage begins, Johnny and Zosha are very quickly separated, and Johnny begins to suspect that there are sinister clauses in their seemingly unbreakable mm. employee contracts. A shocking development that no one saw coming. No one saw coming. Totally blindsided, right? Yeah. Wrong. Sarcasm. Desperate to be reunited with Zosha and get them both out of the hotel, Joni tries to get Belle and the head maid that she works for, Beatrice, to reveal information about the contracts and how to break them, but the few bits of information that they reveal leave her with more questions than answers. Joni's endless prying into the hotel's inner workings and habits of not following orders that she has explicitly given, even when she knows that she should be following them, draw attention from the unsettling maitre of the hotel, Alistair, and the magicians in his inner circle. This only pushes Johnny to be more determined to discover the secrets of Hotel Magnifique and to free herself and Zosha from its enchanted walls. I won't say anything more about the plot because we kind of start getting into complicated waters. If I do, I don't want to do anything spoilery. The plot, world building, and magic system in this book are incredible. Off the walls. Like, I loved everything about all of that. So, Hotel Magnifique takes place in a world where magic users, called Sumiers, and their magic are considered dangerous and deadly. Uh, most countries barely tolerate magic, and some will go as far to execute anyone who shows signs of having magic. Ooh. The only place where people seem to forget this kind of fear and prejudice against magic is within the walls of Hotel Magnifique. Um, because it's said to be run by a Sumier so powerful he uses his own magic to keep all the other magicians in check, allowing people to enjoy the magic and wonder of the hotel without any of the risks associated with magic outside the walls. A short way into the book, you learn that he does this by having the magicians at the hotel channel their magic using specific artifacts. These artifacts are so unique, and they're such a cool concept. Whenever they were first introduced, I kind of assumed they were similar to the amplifiers used in Shadow and Bone, mm -hmm. where they just, like, enhance someone's existing magical ability. But... Mm -hmm. The artifacts actually, like, guide the Sumier's magic and influence what they can do. So, like, for example, the Maitre, Alistair, his magic is channeled through an inkwell, and that's how he creates these magical binding contracts, is, like, because of the magic in the inkwell. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he powers it, but, like, the artifact guides what he can do with it. Um, another example, there's, like, a less powerful Sumier that's mentioned, and her artifact is a copper spoon. And all she can do is heat water with it. <laughs> like she can stir, she can stir a cold cup of water, and it will heat up with it with the spoon. That would be what I got. <laughs> Convenient, I want one. Okay, but like that would be yeah. amazing. Still, my that tea's already great. cold. I want it. Yeah, my tea's cold too. A couple of other examples. Um, Beatrice, the head uh, maid, um, she has this like little metal butterfly that is pinned to her clothes and it's actually made up of a bunch of gears that she can control and use to like fix things. Like oh. they call her to fix a faucet at one point and like the gears like trot out of the butterfly and like... Very steampunk. It's very, yeah, it's really cool. So the magic system is like really cool and each person has really unique abilities that come with their powers and the artifact that they use. The hotel itself is... Beautiful. Like, having given you the premise where you know something is kind of more sinister going on, I think I would probably describe the hotel as, like, a poison dart frog or a carnivorous Ooh. plant. Mm. Yeah. It is beautiful and vibrant. Magic, like, oozes out of every experience within it. The very first day that she's there, Johnny walks, she's trying to find Belle, and she walks into the salon, and the there's an alchemist serving magical cocktails at the bar. 
the guest rooms are uh, decorated based on these different themes. Like there's a forest room that is completely made out of forest foliage. Even the vanity table is made out of like intertwined trees. It's so beautifully done. Like I really, really enjoyed the setting and that that kind of stuff. But there's just enough off about the vibe of the hotel that you feel apprehensive about it. Um, the plot concept is amazing. And for me, as a fan of the Night Circus, it definitely feels like the author drew inspiration from there or from somewhere very similar. But it doesn't feel like they were trying to emulate it. You know, like there's definitely a difference. It also reminds me of Caraval. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's 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 not like completely the same, obviously, but it's got similar aspects where if you've read it, you're going to pick it up. Yeah. Uh, nothing about the plot was as straightforward as I originally thought it was going to be. So I initially kind of guessed plot-wise where some things were going. And there were definitely some quote-unquote twists that I predicted like from the jump, and they were not surprising at all. But then as I got further in, there were a couple that really did feel like they kind of slapped me in the face a little bit, and I was not as ready for them as I thought. So all of those are pros. They all check off things in the pros column. But let's fuel our need for some negativity and (laughs) talk about some of these cons. Mm, Give it to me. I want to hear. So first and foremost, there was the dumbest time jump I've ever seen in a book. (laughs) Ever. It made me so angry. So I won't give away any spoilers, but about 50% of the way into the book, something happens that results in a five-week time jump. Okay. Um, Which is not necessarily an outrageous amount of time to jump forward, but the way that this author went about it was so frustrating. So, again, something happens and Joni gets in trouble with the Matra. After she's punished is when we jump forward those five weeks. There's a whole scene with her working in the kitchen, delivering food, blah, 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 after this time jump, right? She finds a note from Bell asking him to meet her. And then after like five pages of this scene of her being, you know, five weeks forward in the future, we go back to the night she was punished to a conversation between her and Bell before jumping forward again to them meeting in the present. This is not a movie. No, no, no. I'm confused. Yeah, that's also so confusing. Yeah, so basically, like, what happens is she gets in trouble, it jumps forward in time, she gets the note from Belle, and then it jumps back to the scene, like, pretty much immediately after she gets punished. And I have no idea why she did it that way. Because then it goes and just resumes forward in the present with her meeting Belle at the time that he wrote on the note. Yeah, well, like, what narrative purpose does it... Exactly. Show to do that. It doesn't make any sense. It drove me absolutely fucking nuts. I had to, that was where, because it was about 50% of the way in, that was where I stopped to take a break. And then I <laughs> had to pick it back up in the audiobook because I didn't have the time to read it because I put it off for so long. Is it revealing that she has magic and she's wearing like a magical paperclip or something? So no. she can time jump? What? No. I think you're thinking about it too hard. I- yeah. <laughs> this always happens. So, secondly, and perhaps most importantly for me, were the characters in this book. You know when you read a book with interesting side characters and you're like, damn, I want to know, know more about them. Like my book. Yeah. <laughs> that was every single side character in this book except for the main character and the love interest, Belle. Oh, no. What? Every side character that popped up, I was like, holy shit, I want to know every single solitary sentence about their life and their life story like for example whenever Joni gets there on the first day she goes in i said she's she goes to the alchemist at the bar um that's ursa her artifact that she uses to channel her magic is a teacup filled with some strange white liquid and it turns things to porcelain uh, which does have a sinister use later on in the book and it's just she's she's so interesting uh hellas the botanist whose artifact is a deck of playing cards that he uses to make real growing plants out of paper in the greenhouse. Uh, Derev is the main performer at the hotel. She's a big, mean, curvy woman that wears a different, brightly colored wig every night. I, I love, love her. her. I know. I love her. She's a bitch, and I love her so much. <laughs> um, she uses a silver bird's talon that she wears on a chain around her neck as her artifact. Oh, my gosh. And wait, what does it do? I can't tell you. Ah! It's <laughs> I want to know. Is it just because, is it because the main characters are 
essentially mundane, like because they have no magic? Um, no. Okay. Personality-wise, they're <laughs> stale Pringles. <laughs> uh, Joni, first of all, Joni can't follow a single direction anyone gives her, even when she knows she would be better off doing it or comments on the fact that she would be better off doing it. She still won't and gets herself into trouble. Mm. And Belle has zero depth at all until almost 70% of the way into the fucking book. Well, then just get rid of him. I don't want it. Yes. Even Alistair, the creepy Maitre, and some of the unnamed guests were more interesting and sympathetic than these two. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of Twilight, where like all of the side characters have such interesting stories and backstories, but you have to sit there and watch stale bread Yes. Like the whole time. And it's just like against each other. You're watching two pieces of stale bread smack each other. Exactly. Like 800 pages. Okay. So this problem with their characters being bland brings me to the main and obvious issue that I had with this book. And that is the fucking romance. The chemistry was non-existent. Oh, no. They had the romantic chemistry God gave sidewalk chalk. (laughs) And every time they interacted, I wanted to roll my eyes and bang my head against something. I know I just called them stale Pringles. That's not fair. I think stale Pringles might even have more chemistry than these two. A doormat has more sexual tension with the bottom of my shoes than Joni and Belle have. You can get some good friction with that, though, depending on the doormat. See? Exactly. (laughs) And stale Pringles can have different flavors. Yes. True. And like, imagine it's like two, your two Pringles separated by a third Pringle in the middle. Like, there is tension there, brother. We could get there. <laughs> These two don't, they have less chemistry than two Pringles separated by a third Pringle in the middle. <laughs> Anyways, the problem stems from the fact that for the first pff, 65% of the novel, all of their quote-unquote romantic interactions rely solely on them accidentally invading each other's personal space and getting flustered about it. So it's all attraction-based. It's not based on anything. I don't like it. I don't like it. It's miserable. There's no feelings. There's no soft moments or them, like, learning about each other or growing closer. None none of that happens until, I'm not joking, almost 60% of the way into the book. It's too late. And the only instance... Before that, that I can think of where they do learn stuff about each other, Belle, like, I think they're talking about, I can't remember exactly, I think they're talking about Johnny's mother, and Belle offers sympathy, saying, like, I'm sorry, because her mother's dead, and Johnny hesitates for a moment and then thinks to herself, I bristled, I didn't want his pity. How are they supposed to connect emotionally if the main character is brushing off all these attempts at him having any kind of depth or understanding? Right. You have to be vulnerable if you want, like, your character has to be vulnerable if you want people to like them. Yes. Exactly. They have to be vulnerable and, like, I don't know, a lot of the interactions between them, and I mean, there is a plot reason why this happens, but a lot of them just felt like Johnny talking at Belle about her life and him not really having anything to say. And, like, I'm not joking when I say that they did not have any kind of, like, no banter, no joking, none of that before the first instance of, like, oh, we're close and he's hot. I feel flustered. Mm. Like, you got to give me something. Yeah. Anything. Like, I can't just, you know, drink this plain milk. Like, yes. you know, you got to put yeah. some chocolate syrup in it or something. Yeah. I'm not a psychopath. I'm not sitting here drinking a, a glass of 2% milk. Exactly. Like a monster. <laughs> Another thing that I hated about it is uh, the, like, worldly, well-traveled boy mocks hardworking poor girl for her limited world experience as a form of flirting is a wily oh. trope that can be stabbed 23 times by 60 of its friends and co-workers, for all I care. <laughs> happy Ides of March. Yeah, happy March 15th. Yeah, well, Ides of March joke for you since we are recording this on the 15th. But no, seriously, if I lived 5,000 years and never saw that trope ever again, it would still be too soon. Ugh. Yeah, this is the year 2023. Like, we do not need that. Yeah. No. Um, It goes on for way too long as well, especially considering all of the, like, feelings that should be developing between them. It wasn't until their very last interaction at the end of the book that I felt any kind of warm feelings. Wow. They were boring with a capital B, and nothing felt like it had been earned between them. 
because like I said, it's all attraction. Like there's not a single instance where I can think of that like was not, it, I don't know whether it was supposed to be banter and it just didn't land, but it really felt like they were trying to, I don't know, hit this kind of sarcastic, easy back and forth between them that just fell flat. It was so bad. Like, I've read smut books that have yeah. more depth to their characters than it yeah. sounds and like these two have. Nothing about their situation was helped by the fact that every background character was more interesting than them. Like, literally, I'm not joking. There was at one point, they're at this, like, kind of foreign land that sounds like it's some kind of, like, desert country that has, like, this fantastical night market or whatever. And Johnny is walking around and there's a guard at the night market that sees her talking to Belle and sees them, like, get into an argument or whatever. And this, like, random lady guard with her very cool size and cool outfit walks up and asks, like, do you want me to kill him for you? She was more interesting. She has two lines in the whole book. Yeah, I love her already. <laughs> yeah, she was more interesting than both of them. Wow. Overall, I really did end up liking this book. Um, just... For the first 40%, I thought I was going to come in here for this podcast recording and just dunk on it the entire time because the romance was pissing me off every other page. Like, it was <laughs> making me so angry. And Joni being stupid and getting herself into situations because she wouldn't follow her own instincts, which that's a very YA thing anyway. So I tried to take it with a grain of salt because this is a YA novel. I did not want to be at the clown store. <laughs> I wanted to be outside of the clown store. Um but once the plot really started taking off and questions started being asked that I didn't immediately have or predict the answers to, I, I enjoyed it way, way more. Um, I really liked the way I think, I guess you could say the final battle worked out. Uh, I won't give anything away, but I think the author resolved the conflict in a way that really gave the justice. It really put like doling out the justice in the hands of the people who really deserved it the most in the story, which I mean, it's a little spoiler. It's not the main character. They're like other people in the story that kind of deserve that justice a little bit more. And they got to be the ones to deliver it. And I really did think that was a great, great ending. Um, so, yeah, that was Hotel Magnifique. I would say a solid three, 3.5 stars from me. So in conclusion, yeah. you would rather that we read The Night Circus instead? Yes, read The Night Circus instead. If you want to read something similar to The Night Circus, just read The Night Circus because it is a masterpiece on par with, I don't know, there's nothing, I can't even think of anything that would be above it. The Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa. The Sistine Chapel ceiling. Exactly. Yeah. Who was my person? Yeah, who gave Caitlin her book? I did. Yeah! <laughs> I don't know, I, well, I know you revealed it, but I actually, so I actually gave Caitlin a list of three books because... Yes. If you don't know this, Caitlin reads a ton. And so I was trying to th yeah. figure out like what hadn't you read. And I actually figured you would have read this book because every time I try to look Does up... Does she read a, th a ton? <laughs> I do. I only record like... I only like end up logging maybe 10% of the books that I read because... The only ones that get logged are the ones that I read on my Kindle because Kindle automatically uh, does it for me. No, yeah, I, just, mm. I was just making a joke about the fact that you always read Get in the Ninth. No, oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I read more than one book at once usually. I'm usually reading an audiobook, an ebook, oh, and okay. a physical Perfect, copy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, so I'm teasing. We'll let that. We'll let that pass. We'll let my character flaw of only reading Gideon the Ninth pass. Mm. I figured you would have read this already because every time I tried to look up. Like I was trying to look up lists where it was like things similar to the Night Circus. Like this came up <laughs> on every single list. And so I was yeah. like, oh, I'll put this on here, but I bet Caitlin's already read it. But then I also like, so the other two books, the, um, I, well, we don't need to worry about them, but I, when I was reading up reviews before I recommended this to you, I was like, I don't think she's going to like it. Cause there were a lot of like negative reviews about certain points that you brought up. And I was like, this yeah. is gonna piss Caitlin off. <laughs> <And> so, <Yeah. laughs> so when you said that that like that was the book that you like basically that you chose to read, I was like, ooh, we're gonna see it yeah. happens. <laughs> yeah. Those points definitely did not hit for me. Like I look after when I finished it today, I did go and look at a couple of reviews and I saw people say a lot of similar things that I did. And like, I don't know, the like I said, the world, the concept, the the magic system in the book, they all hit every point that I wanted them to hit but it was just like the two most bland YA characters you can possibly imagine leading this story in a world full of all of these really 
like very eye-catching and interesting side characters it's so deflating yeah Ugh. yeah yeah because like everything else about the story hit and checked all the boxes for me but it was just like these two characters annoy the shit out of me i want to smack both of them but yeah outside of them loved it but they unfortunately bring it down to a liked it that's all right you still have the night circus i do <laughs> you can always read it and reread it and reread it you could re- do your rereads by reading different copies because you have like 10 copies don't you I have, uh, I think I have six copies of it, but yeah, I do have a lot of copies of it. Um, and that's not even counting the copies that have had to unfortunately be retired permanently. I had two copies from high school that I read so much, big chunks of the pages fell out and they ended up <laughs> having to be retired. Yeah, permanently. I reread it every October because it's a fall time book. It definitely is. Mm, yeah, I think it has that feel. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> Yes, I did. I I did end up liking it. I was worried. I felt bad. I did not want to come in here and like just dunk on the book for 20 minutes straight. So I'm glad that I did end up liking it. I really was worried because I, again, I I gave you a list so that you could choose something you hadn't read yet. And you said that and I have been like nervous (laughs) since then (laughs) because, because exactly what you said, like there, there's definitely like, like I saw it on other reviews when I was checking out the book and I was like, oh, I'll put it down because like. It's definitely yeah. going to fall in line with her interests, but like, ooh. It immediately caught my eye so quickly. I don't even remember what the other two, I don't even think I looked at them. I can tell you. I looked at <laughs> them, because I, I wrote them down in my like personal Discord. So the other one was yeah. a book that I've read called The Paper Magician. Oh, I've read that book. I love that book so much. Yeah. And, well, and, I, and I really liked it. And I, again, like also like I just, there's a really, it's a really well done magic system. Yes, it's so cool and it's such a beautifully done story. Yeah, and and I was this is definitely going to sound elitist to me, but uh or like, you know, <laughs> for what I'm saying, but like I remember I found it because it was on Kindle Unlimited and it was like early enough in Kindle Unlimited that like some stuff was good. It was like really really yes. really hit or miss. And I remember yeah. reading this and being like, "Ooh, hit, like not miss." Yeah. Yeah, that whole series hit for me yeah, too. Yeah, same, same, same. And I even there was recently like another like a version of it or like a offshoot of that the plastic magician yeah yeah with spellmaker and spellbreaker but um yeah the third book was legends and lattes because of your interest oh in um yes oh gosh but in that um the fan fiction that we've talked about the, the au the, yes the cardinal the only coffee, coffee shop, shop au, AU i will yeah. ever read snakes and lattes by neon academia so i was like oh maybe this <laughs> yeah i've been wanting to read that book too it's on my i think i have it um downloaded but i haven't read it yet so i want to know what everybody thinks they are going to read next because that's not usually something we talk about so what do you guys think is going to be the next book that you pick up after this well um at lady's recommendation i just started this afternoon uh prince of the sorrows yes <laughs> um Join and me. yes um she has been talking about it nonstop. So I it's on Kindle it's on Kindle Unlimited right now. Um and so I picked it up and I'm like, I don't know, probably seven pages in and it's already looking real good. Ooh. I, I will give you the pitch that I gave Kristen and Emily. I'm pining for this Fay Prince so hard. He's cardinal with long hair and cannon nip piercings. Oh my god. Oh, oh my god. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> he has carved horns. He has long black hair, nipple piercings, and he wears makeup. Like, kill me oh now. Oh my god. Oh. I would let this man drug me. Whenever I, like, whenever he entered the page, I was like, oh man, this man. <laughs> When I describe this man to you guys right now, my spouse just sent me a text being like, you what? (laughs) 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 All right, I'm glad I convinced you guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. please join us because um, I don't know how much further Lady is than I am. I'm like a third of the way into the book, like not that far. What did you say it was called? Prince of the Sorrows by Kellen Graves. Yeah. But then after that, I think I'm going to read um, The Things We Do to Our Friends. Um, it has a lot of... Uh, when I read the back of it, it reminded me of These Violent Delights. Um, so I'm probably going to read that next, but we'll see. Nice, nice. I'm going on vacation soon, and so I decided to download a bunch of ebooks that are all favorites of the people on this call. So I downloaded uh, These Violent Delights by yes, Micah yes, Nemirever. Yes, yes. Join me, join me, join me. Yes. 
I downloaded both Down Comes the Night and A Far Wilder Magic by Alison Sack. Yes. Join me. Join us. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I plan on reading next. Yes. B, what about you? Um, so I'm currently reading one of the book club books. Uh, the was it Two Wrongs Don't Make a Right? Two Wrongs Make a Right. Make, two Wrongs Make a Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm currently reading that. Uh, I'm probably like only honestly only like four percent in, so that'll probably keep me for a while. I have this book um called Exit Unicorns, which is a it's a tough book for me to read because it's it's historical fiction, but it's set in northern ireland during the troubles or like right before like in the late 60s right before a big part of the troubles take place Mm -hmm. it's a very long book and it's written to be like this dense kind of epic and so it's just taking like i'm only like 40 percent into it and it took me like a whole month to get to 40 percent because it's just dense um yeah so but i like i'll finish a book and i have to like sit with my post book feelings (laughs) And then I tend to, I have to kind of like wait for that to settle before I know like what the, what, what my next whims are going to be. Uh, and I, so I am a very much like, I don't like plan out what's my next book going to read. Like very rarely does that happen unless it's something that I've been looking forward to, like the stolen air. Um, I am very much like a, in the moment, what am I feeling? What am I going to read? So I don't, I don't know. Cause I got plenty of physical books to read. That are just sitting on my shelf, and I got plenty of stuff sitting in, like my ebook library. So I don't know yet. I'm probably gonna read the other book of the months. Let's be honest. <laughs> so we were really fortunate after we did our very first episode. Claire Sager, the author of Beneath Black Sails, reached out to us and asked if we would be interested in getting an arc of her next book, uh, A Kiss of Iron, which um, is a spinoff in the same world. The book has since come out. We did get the arc from her and and we were super, super thankful for her to send that to us. But um, my life just did not allow me to read it when it was still like exclusive for us. It's getting really good reviews and it's getting recommended by a lot of like other book Instagrammers that we follow and I follow. Yeah. I just pulled up the the story graph page and so far like all the activity that I see on here has like four and a half stars and it's getting like really high marks for a bunch of stuff. Yeah, so I'm really excited. So um, A Kiss of Iron by Claire Sager. That's I think what I'm going to. Well, actually, I lied. The next book is the book that that Kristen and Lady are reading. I'm definitely starting that tonight. Yes. But after that, it will be A Kiss of Iron by Claire You're Sager. You're all going to catch up to me and finish it before me. Caitlin will start it like tomorrow and she'll finish before both of us. Yeah, I'm sorry. For sure. You're not sorry, Caitlin. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I wish um, I, I will say that I already read A Kiss of Iron um, and it was really really good um the romance in it let me just the tension between these two characters makes you want to like rip your hair out in like the best way it's like oh i love that yeah tension is my favorite word to describe a book (laughs) yes like it's just the whole book oozes with tension have you well have you seen so again like i follow claire sager so have you seen she's been posting uh fan art I have that, from the that the people are making and I'm just like drooling. <laughs> like, I saw the yes. one where it's like the guy on the throne and then the girls on his lap. Yes, that's what, yeah. exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so um it's definitely very good. Um the only kind of complaint that I had about it, and this is not a complaint, it's just an observation, but the the Fae in this book are not the typical kind of Fae that we all hear like. They kind of uh, go along the route more of like an Akatar Fae. Yeah, it was the same for uh, Beneath Black Sails as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, I mean, you you pretty much know that going in, but um, yeah, like I said, it's not a com- it. yeah, it's not a complaint. It was just like I typically like my Fae a little bit more creepy and traditional, mean yeah. and yeah. stuff. Um, and so it also like. I I know this is like a spinoff of Beneath Black Sails, but like I kind of had wished that I had finished Beneath Black Sails because um, some of the characters from that book make an appearance in A Kiss of Iron and I kind of got spoiled um, (laughs) by the end of the series. So um, if you don't really care, you know, about it, then go ahead and go in. But yeah, now I'm like, well, I got spoiled, but it is what it is. 
all the books that you guys are getting ready to read and the book that I'm getting ready to read, it sound really, really good. But um, in the meantime, Lady, you want to take us out? Yeah, thank you for listening. Our next episode will be out on April 11th. In the meantime, you can find us at Red in the Dark Pod on Instagram and Tumblr. Our email is redinthedarkpod at gmail.com if you want to ask a question about any of the books we've discussed on this episode. We also have a book club. You can find us at Warren Page Library on Instagram and Tumblr, which will have details on how to join our Discord. Finally, we're hosting some challenges on Storygraph through the book club, which you can find by searching Warren Page Library's Book of the Month and Warren Page Library's 23 for 2023 in the challenges section of the app. B's book today was Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies by Heather Fawcett. Caitlin's book was Hotel Magnifique by Emily J. Taylor. Some of the favorite childhood books that we've mentioned are the Inkheart series by Cornelia Funke, the Royal Diaries series and the Dear America series, a Wrinkle in Time series by Madeline Langle, the Harry Potter series by known transphobe J.K. Rowling, Magic Treehouse by Mary Pope Osborne, Amos Deragon by Brian Perrow, Dead Girl Walking by Linda Joyce Singleton, and a bunch of other books by authors like Lois Duncan and Nicholas Spark. The Cruel Prince by Holly Black, Stalking Jack the Ripper by Carrie Maniscalco, The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstein, and Prince of the Sorrows by Kellen Graves. Keep reading and we'll see y'all next time. Bye. 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 Bye.